Hello, listeners. I hope that you are continuing to stay safe and healthy in the midst of all that is going on, um, specifically this sensdemic that we continue to stand in. Um, sensdemic is the word that's being used um, since we're having two pandemics going on at once, the pandemic of the coronavirus, COVID-19, persisting, especially here in the United States, and the pandemic of social injustice and racism and the impact of that on various communities and, of course, predominantly the Black community. In the face of it all, I have had different conversations with different people. I've been one who's been very, very, very fortunate to always have a diverse group of friends, um, folks I can lean on, colleagues, you name it. I've just, I've always benefited from that. It has its challenges. I, I am always very clear. Diversity, though truly beneficial and invaluable, is not to be assumed to also make things easier. And the challenge with that is the different perspectives that come up and um, the the questions uh, that are uncomfortable to ask um, or get insight into or are awkward to, or the conversations that are awkward to engage in. But none of those things have ever stopped me before from trying to be productive in the midst of whatever challenge we're facing. And so candidly, what I've been experiencing a lot recently is having a lot of conversation with my Black friends, specifically Black female friends, about all that's going on and what they're feeling and how this is taking a toll on all of them. And no surprise, it's the same for me, you know, as a Black woman living in the United States and the environments in which I play, even if it's virtually now, the effects are real and they're heavy. And it's hard to say the least. And on the other side of the coin, um, or the experience, I should say, I have a lot of white women and men in my community who've been asking a lot of questions, um, wanting to engage in dialogue. And these are folks whom I've had relationships with for a long time, folks who I'm very comfortable with, folks with whom I've had very um, candid conversations that get awkward, that get really uncomfortable, um, that are tough, but they've only been comfortable with me. And so I've been trying to figure out how do I facilitate more of a dialogue for us in the midst of understanding that we're not ready for direct dialogue just yet. And that's a whole other conversation unto itself. Um, but what I did was I pulled some friends together to just connect candidly and start a discussion, specifically the Black women in my community, about what we're feeling in the midst of all that's going on and what we want others to know and also what others want to know about us, the questions that folks are asking Um the experience that is ours that people want more insight into, not just for spectator sake or 
enhanced knowledge sake, but to take action. That That is what I love about the people in my community, specifically the people who are not like me, who are in my personal community. Um, and I should be specific here. What I'm talking about is my network, my network of friends um, and colleagues. That That's the community I'm talking about. And so I've decided to interrupt our regularly scheduled programming of Living Fabulously Fierce podcast, in which I share some coaching tips and then invite a guest to share with us how they're living with AIM, authenticity, intention, and masterful execution. And I'm taking this interruption to hold a shared space roundtable, if you will. And that roundtable this time is the roundtable of Black women who are going to share how they're experiencing all that's going on right now for them, Um, how it is impacting their ability to live fabulously fierce, to live with authenticity, intention, and masterful execution. And I am also taking this introductory part to thank them. To each and every one of them, I'm just so grateful for their willingness to join in on this conversation. It's a shared space amongst all of us, naturally. Some of them had never met, actually, none of them have ever met each other before in this conversation. Um, And it was kind of impromptu, just reached out and asked what they thought. And they all jumped in and said, yay, they're in. And they came, Um, they showed up uh, and I'm, I'm really, really grateful for that. So before I even turn it over, um, I want to thank Shay LaFloria. I want to thank Manushka, a team. I want to take thank Tandy Falala. And I want to thank Fabienne Bien-Aimé. And I hope that all that you hear and see through what we articulate um, visually for you is received in the vein in which all of it is intended, which is to share, to be transparent, and to invite ongoing dialogue however is possible in your own shared space. And so I also thank you listeners for investing your time up front Um, in my podcast usually, but especially as we interrupt and take a different um, course of action this week. And uh, I would love to hear what you think. And most importantly, if you have any questions, I'm going to let you know that if you send them to me ASAP, I will be more than happy to make sure that they're also featured here Um, as this will be just the beginning of an ongoing conversation. So again, thank you to my guest. Thank you to my listeners, as always. And I hope you enjoy this episode, this interruption to our regularly scheduled programming to have a very candid conversation about the experience of Black women in the midst of all that we're going through in the here and now. Thanks.
Welcome back, listeners. As I mentioned, we are interrupting our regularly scheduled program here at Living Fabulously Fierce. Um, I'm grateful to be joined by friends today um, for a candid conversation about all that's going on in our world, in our society, and specifically how it's impacting our Black community. And one of the desires of my heart was to really use this platform to create a safe space for Black women, in particular in the midst of all that's going on, so we can have just some candid conversation while we're also bonding with each other. Um, So what I'd like to do is have my guests introduce themselves, um, and then we'll jump into some questions um, and just a really candid conversation about all that's going on, how it's impacting us, and what we want folks to know from our lens. So I'm going to start with a guest who's been with us before, and then we'll go around Robin to introductions. So Manishka. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Manushka Atim. I work in public relations and have been doing so for the past 15 years. Awesome. And then I will hand it over to Fab. Hi, everyone. My name is Fabian Bienname. I work in a professional services firm, and um, this is my first podcast with um, Farah. So I'm looking forward to the conversation and really. Um, changing ideas and sharing our thoughts, especially with this topic that is pretty close and dear to my heart. And we're going to go to Shay. My name is uh, Charmaine LaFloria Daniels. I go often by Shay. I am a teacher for third grade and here in Florida. Um, I'm also um, formerly a senior pastor of a church and formerly a social service worker for Cuyahoga County in Cleveland, Ohio, when I lived there for 40 years. So wow. glad to be on the show, my first time on the show. So thank you so much. Thanks for being here. And last but not least, uh, Tandy. Hi, can you hear me? We can hear you. Okay, hi, I am Tandy Falala, and I work in institutional investing. I'm in Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, this is my second time on the show. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So that gives everybody a flavor of, you know, who we've got on the on the episode today and just different perspectives that you will be able to tap into. So first things first, right off the bat, in the midst of all that's going on um, and that we've experienced in the past month and a half, especially just highlighting George Floyd in particular, but we can't forget Ahmaud Aubrey. We have Breonna Taylor. And unfortunately, the list continues to grow um, even this past week. If you had to describe how you're feeling in the midst of everything in just one word right now, what word would you use? I would say exhausted. <laughs> really exhausted. Tell me more. Yeah, you know... I, Black Lives Matter started, you know, what, maybe five years ago, and we have been screaming, chanting, marching, protesting, signing petitions for five plus years, and really just asking to be heard. And I think what is crazy about all of this is we are not asking for anything that is 
really unbelievable. We're simply saying we want to be treated equally. We do not want to be murdered in the streets. We want to break down institutional racism. And the powers that be just refuse to listen to us. So I think that when everything erupted a few weeks ago, you know, I think in a lot of ways, white America sat there really shocked that this was happening. It had always been mm-hmm. happening. The difference here is that there's nowhere to go and we are in quarantine, right? So you can't just turn your back and go to work and it's business as usual. So, you know, I had, I remember thinking like, what is different about this moment? Because we've seen Eric Garner right. In the same way, on camera, right? Mm. And it didn't have the impact that it has now. And I think, you know, I am hopeful that we are seeing progress, but we've been seeing it for so long. And, you know, it's just exhausting, but we also do not have the, you know, we we don't have the benefit of saying, okay, well, we're going to walk away now. It's done. We're going to continue marching and continue, you know, seeking equality. So I'm exhausted and I'm tired, but it's a fight as Black people that we're just going to continue having, just like our ancestors. It's so interesting because I remember when you and I talked and we were just being really candid, you know, that's what friends do. But I said to you, but what's different? What is different about this time? Like why now, instead of, as I was sharing with Shay just a couple of days ago, I'm, when all of this happened with um, uh, George Floyd, my head went to July, 2016, Eric Garner, Philando Catholic, that one week just pressed back in mind for me. And so candidly, exhaustion is a perfect word, but I, I will also tell you plus one to your point about like, this has always been happening. And I, I was at a loss as to what, what is getting everybody to respond now? Why this one? And you made the point, no, well, where's everybody going to go? You know, people usually have their routine, so they don't have to see, they don't have to hear. And so now it's like people are being confronted with the things that they could go about their usual mode of operating every day without having to stay attuned to. And one of the things that I, I'm actually really curious about is from a parenting standpoint, you know, Fab and Shay, like in particular for you, what, it, what feeling do you have? I saw you both nodding when Manishka was like, yes, exhausted. But is there anything else that comes up for you as parents in this time? I would say for me, for, I mean, um, I think exhaustions, I think we're all, because we're talk, we've been talking about this, it's natural for us to be there. There's sadness um, as well, because the hope would have been that, we've been talking about it so long, that for our kids, we, the hope is that they were not going to see it this way. They were not, we were going, we were moving and progressing. Having the conversation again and still being in the same page yeah. means that nothing has changed. Um, the sadness is for me is when you think about it, and, and I think it's it's a bit different here because I think there's been a combination of things. We started with Aubrey, and what's interesting with him is that the, the shooting happened in February. It yeah. only became news. In March, yep. April, when the video erupted, exactly. so it took a long time. So for me, that made me sad because if it wasn't for someone seeing it on video, 
no one would have known. We wouldn't have made a big deal about it. We don't need a video. It was just wrong. Right, right. We did not need a video. And then you get to what happened to Aubrey, what happened to, you know, Brianna Teller, and then you, you get to what happened to Rashad. Yeah. It's just a combination of things, and they keep going. And you put all of that in this with the fact that when you think about the pandemic, who's affected and who is feeling most hurt? Mm-hmm. And is suffering from it and not getting the care that they need and constantly dying. It's again, our African American, or black people. So for me, it's a combination of things. And then you have all of this. And then what happened is you have that video also in Central Park where someone oh my is, gosh. Yeah. is using, they are purposely doing it. So for me, that makes it more and people realize how intentional when you do become do the discrimination when you do the racism you know exactly what you're doing you are using it against a person that yeah when i look at you like that you see the combination of things and i think that's why people are so tired and why you see some people that have not engaged in that at that level yeah. now i engage yeah. And, and you know what, say her name, Amy Cooper, right? I think that that's in, again, I think it, I can't remember if it was Tandy, maybe it was you Manishka when we were talking, I was like, I, I can't, it was you Manishka. Cause I remember you're like Farah, like it's privilege, but I was struggling with the fact that this, this individual who clearly is sane, like she, she has her wherewithal with her, see someone take out, the camp, like you, you're watching yourself being recorded, and yet still, and, and so we're having to even counter the the. I don't know how ingrained the privilege is on on that. Um, so yes, thank you for pointing to that as well, Shanna. You wanted to jump in. Yeah, I was just going to um, add. I think that what. Along with everything that has been said, I agree totally and wholeheartedly. And I think that the reason the situation with and the murder of George Floyd was so impactful was due to the fact in every other situation um, that we were made aware of in our culture and in our community, Oftentimes, we didn't have the benefit of the full video mm-hmm. we didn't have, or we didn't have the benefit of a video. Um, with Trayvon Martin, you know, we didn't have a video. Uh, Tamir Rice from my hometown of Cleveland, I was in Cleveland when it happened, lived, still living there when that happened. Um, we had that video. Um, however, with this one, for me, the difference is not only do we have the video, but we had what we thought would have made the difference yeah. in every other case. Yeah. And that is that we had people standing there mm-hmm. in the moment advocating for George Floyd, saying he cannot breathe, get off of him. 
Can you let him go? You know, approaching the police officers at one point only to be backed off because they were reaching for their guns. But what was different about this is that we had advocates there. And in every other situation, I think at some point we thought, well, if somebody would have been there, it wouldn't have happened. Maybe if one of us would have been there, the situation would have been different. With Trayvon Martin, if somebody would have been there, it would have been different. With Tamir, if someone would have been there to, to calm the situation down or to bring some sense of humanity into it, it wouldn't have happened. But we did have people there. Yeah. And it didn't matter because that police officer and those with him especially the one that was wanting to have a whole conversation back and forth with the, the, you know, witnesses on why he wasn't even approaching him. He didn't even make a move to go over Mm -hmm. to check Mm -hmm. or say to the other officer, well, maybe you need to get off of him. And then for the one who had his full weight of his entire body on this man's neck, and the look of utter disdain and aloofness as if nobody was there, as yeah. if no one was shouting, as if no one was crying out. Well, that was the difference maker. But it, but it was because the voices that were there, the people that were represented never really are. They're not seen. The humanity is missed. All of that is gone, right? And I think that that's that's what makes this exhausting, sad, like ongoing. Tandy, I know you wanted to, yeah. Yeah, I I actually wanted to add something that right now media uh, nationally is behaving differently because if you've noticed, even the morning shows, everybody's recording from home. So they've had to tell news and share news in a whole different Mm -hmm. way. Where um, actually different news uh, centers are, are, you know, they cater for different markets. And the ownership of that, or whoever owns that market, determines how much of a story they get. Sometimes you get just a little tidbit, a few seconds. Sometimes you may see a whole video. I remember this with um, Philando Castile, where I I was traveling. And in Boston, we saw more of the video, but in other places, a little cutout piece and not the whole thing, and not, and then you walk away and say, "These people don't know that it was a Facebook Live. That the, the that actually the woman was in the car doing a Facebook Live when he was killed in the car, and how that it transpired. But the way the news was told in that market, where was I um, at, at, at the point? But it, it was it was framed differently. Yeah. And right now they don't have that much control because they have had to um, rely on the mothership, which is NBC, or to give them the feeds from different markets or different places in order for them to craft a news show. Yeah. So that actually has poured into how this story was told because they, not a lot of um, news um, companies, uh, media companies, have crews running around or even, even a team editing. So they had to show the video as it was. And what I will add is that actually, if you remember leading up to um, George Floyd's murder, Amy Cooper happened. And at that point, we were talking about 
how, the Karens and now saying, now you see what we mean by saying Karen. And she got really dramatic mm. as, as if she was a damsel in distress and all this was happening to her, yet she was the agitator. And then we got into respectability politics about the Harvard educated. Oh, right, right, right. When that conversation kind of going to a crescendo, then George Floyd happens. It, Boom. So attention is different. So, so yes. And, and you're pointing to something that I want, I do want us to transition to is, and, I, and I'll stick with you on this, Tandy. What do you want others to know, and and when I say others, I mean our black, fr- our non-black friends, colleagues, associates, Karens. What what do you want them to know? Oh, do you want me to answer? Oh, <laughs> let me. Well, let me let me say this to you. So this is a tricky one. I have a different perspective. When South Africa finally was in the hands of black people, so to say. Everyone had this idea that finally we're going to gain equity. Finally, all these things will happen. But guess what happened? Right now, 80% of land is still white owned. In business, majority of the business are not in black hands within South Africa. Mm. So we can look at what we would want non-black people to do. But actually, I think we need to focus on what we need to do because I we now have an opportunity more than ever to work together and be each other's champions more than ever. Yeah. Um, I will tell you this, spending 2017, all year, I was in Cape Town. You know, Cape Town, South Africa is still very much white and it's, it's a stronghold for the old system. And that in itself to me showed me a demonstration that, you know, we can want other people to change or see us in different ways, or even in your own land, but if they choose not to, they will not. So ownership, number one, I tell you, we got to start owning. We, we, we need to start patronizing our own businesses. And yes, if, if the service is slow or things are not up to par, patience and, and, and work with them and still go back. That's my perspective. Mm-hmm. Mishka, were you going to jump in? Yeah, you know, as we we're talking about just linking back and then forward, you know, just thinking about like what is different. I think part of what is different in how we move forward is unlike times before when we saw Eric Garner and everything else, we now have a president who is, doesn't bother, right? Like black people have always been oppressed, right? But we've always had someone in office to say, now, now this is a time for calm. This is a time, you know, to come together. And now we have someone who is like, I want to shoot all of you in the streets and I don't care. And I want to show you how brutal we, you know, things are going to be. And I think that white people right now do not have that person who makes them feel good that things are going to be like, you know, so in a lot of ways they're seeing what we are talking about. What we used to. Yeah. And so when we are, we are now, Eric Gardner happened, you know, Philando Castile. I don't remember so many white friends and colleagues reaching out to say, are you okay? What can I do? Right. 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 They're seeing it now in a very different way because 
we've been saying police have been brutalizing us for a while. And now you have white people being brutalized by the police. Yeah. And now they're like, wait a minute, the police are bullies. Yeah. Well, <laughs> now they're being bullies to white people. Right, right. Having young white people step in front of black people to act as human shields right. because they're starting to understand, wow, um, because of my privilege, they're probably not going to shoot me, but they'll shoot, you know what I mean? So I think all of that just makes for messy change and reform, but it needs to happen, right? Like dynamics never happen because we're asking, you know, please change things for us. So where do we go from here? I mean, I think that we have a captive audience, right? And I think that rightfully so, you know, we're saying, no, we want more than body cameras. We've tried that, right? Right, right. Because we've seen body cameras, we've seen Mm -hmm. on these body cameras, black people get murdered and police officers do not get arrested or, you know, or if they are, they're acquitted, right? And so this conversation about defunding the police, I think it really is important and it's something that we need to continue having. I think, you know, it's going to be different in every city, right, of, you know, what does that look like? But I think people are understanding more and more, like, what is happening, what we've been talking about, Um you know, what do I want my white colleagues to, or friends or colleagues to know? Like, we've been telling you for a long time, but we need you into in this fight right now. Yeah. I had a couple of white friends call me and say, you know, I don't think I ever realized, I, you know, teach my kids to love everyone, but it never dawned on me that I had to have a conversation with my children about how to be an anti-racist, exactly. right? Exactly. country books about racism and how to be an anti-racist those are sold out everywhere well because now we're transitioning from you know fighting against racism to actually Mm -hmm. taking up the fight of anti-racism right and i think like even shay and i were talking about this um a couple days ago it's i don't i don't actually care for more allies that army has enough soldiers don't take away but I, I need you to build up the army of advocates now because the advocates are the ones who can play the shield, are the ones who can push forward some of these agenda items that we've had to not only carry, but so, in to some degree also keep on pause, but then keep the foot on the gas. And at the same time, trying to climb our own ladders and be in our own space. And, you know, it, it's it's this um, ongoing daily struggle that's multifaceted. And I think one of the things, especially to your point, Monica, about folks reaching out, um, I have a little surprise for all of you. I actually reached out to um, a group of white women in my own, I I call it my own community, who did all reach out to me and say varying, um, different variations of what can I do and genuinely ask. Now, I think we have all been in the seat of the people we haven't heard from for five years, reaching out, saying, what can I do? I don't know. Please go get a book. And then there are other people who have genuinely reached out and like, oh my God, what can I do? And I have found that I've actually either don't really have answers, quite frankly, or run out of answers. And and you you get exhausted, right? So I reached out to those in my circle and my network who are very dear to me, and I asked them if you had to use if you had the opportunity to use me as proxy with a group of black women, 
and, and look, safe space, no judgment, ask what you want. What are the questions you have? And I have a roster of questions. So this is a little unfair. Look at the faces. Oh, I wish this, this was not just a audio medium. Oh man. Okay. So, <laughs> so what I'd love to do is trans, sorry, go ahead, Manishka. No, you know what? Here's when, when people say, what can I do? No, no, no. It's a really interesting conversation with this man, right? We were like, oh, we're like um, having dinner. He's white. And we we're just talking about all the things that are happening right now, right? And he's just talking about how he's just incensed about what is going on. And like, you know, Black Lives Matter is just so important and blah, blah, blah. And then I said to him, well, like, how did your family feel about it? And he was like, oh, well, they all voted for Trump. Right, right, right. Right. So then I said to him, well, that must make for really uncomfortable, like, dinners. He's like, ah, or I said uncomfortable Thanksgiving. He said, ah, well, you know, I mean, we just, we just leave it alone. Right. And I said that. That's that's the problem. That's the problem. Because we can't leave it alone. That's what you can do. And and I think... And I think that's the the biggest thing, right, is because we can't leave it alone. You know, we can't just leave things where they are. I think this is why I wanted to ask the question, because my biggest fear right now, I'm not actually worried that things are not going to change. I'm actually less worried about that. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm less worried about that than the reality of our day to day not changing because people are so focused. I learned this morning that realtors are now not calling the master bedroom the master bedroom because that is racist. I don't care about you calling the the master bedroom. I care about equality in the workplace and knowing that when I'm mentoring more junior folks and they ask me, can a black woman really do well here? I want to be able to say yes. That's my, my pause. So I'm going to start with you, Tandy, with the first question. So... The first question, now nobody's going to raise their hand ever again. Look at that. (laughs) Time time is of the essence. We only got, and and I will say this, I said it to our guests and I will say it to the audience as well, um, that we will do part two of this, um, but we're going to, we're going to jump to these questions first um, and then uh, continue our conversation. So the first question I got was, do you ever truly feel comfortable in a group of white people? If so, what are the reasons you feel comfortable? I'm asking to learn what I could do or say to make a more comfortable environment for black women. So I guess we can start with the beginning. Do you ever feel truly comfortable in a group of white people? Truly comfortable, no. No, I think I've learned um, skills, and I'll tell you, um, from the time I was three years, no, maybe five, my, the first experience that I had with a quote white person, and this is in an all-black country, was uh, in a, a, a school running around, made a friend, and we were, we were friends. I thought she was great. We were playing. She liked to play the same games. My parent comes to pick me up, I mean, pick her up, and realize that I'm black. You know, she heard the name and her, the look on her face was she of disgust looking at me. And I'm like, you know, you're a kid, you're excited. Like, oh, that's your mommy. And mommy's face is just disgusted that you are who you are. Hmm. Think at that point, I learned a skill about approaching white people with caution. Yes. 
So I operate in a way of, yeah, we'll sit down, have dinner, but I'm cautious. Trust me, all my senses are paying attention. Yeah. And um, and it's very few that I've really gotten really comfortable. Not that you ever feel comfortable. You don't feel comfortable, but it's not that it's not um, you being yourself. It's just your guard is always up. I'm always, it's, it's like the one-to-one relationship with a colleague or, or anything. That's fine. But yep. It's when they invite you to their home. And you're wondering if you're going to get that look that yes. I got as a little girl. Yes. That's where the caution for me comes from because it's, okay, you and I are great. I see you. Yeah. You like good people. But when I get around your other people, am I going to receive that, that look? look? Yeah. So that's, that's, that's what I'm bringing back to that for me, it always goes back to that, you know, my innocence of the world being really opened up of like, oh, okay, skin color, without me saying anything. It's a factor. Um, doing anything. Yeah, it's a factor where someone has already decided who I am and where I should be in society. Shay, were so, you, did you have something to say on that? Oh, I was, I was just in total agreement that um, there is always in the back of your mind what is the motive. Yes. Um, you know, what are their real thoughts? Mm-hmm. What are the conversations when the black yeah. person is yes. in the room? Yes. Um, constantly in my mind, I'm going over um, how I'm presenting myself in the moment. Um, constantly, you know, cautious of if I'm emoting too much emotion, if I am giving too much edge. And of course, we all know about code switching. Yes. So that's always a part too. So um, it's, it's, and talk about being exhausted. Yes. I was just going to say the energy, the energy just to be. It's so ingrained from childhood. It's so ingrained that it's, is these are the motions we all go through and everybody's nodding their head and we never sat down and had this discussion about, you know, when you're in the presence of white people, you need to make sure you're enunciating all yes. that you speaking in a certain tone and that you look a certain way. And, you know, and these are the things. Um, and I think that's so part of it that folks... I think that it's part of it. And even as you're talking, each of you, like I'm, and you know me, like I'm just observing, right? Like Fab had her hand like this for a minute. Tandy's like this for a minute. Vanishka's like this for a minute, right? And it's the, for the audience, it's like all these gestures of self-comfort, you know, hand to the face, hand, head to the hand, hand on the neck. And you find yourself doing these um, self-soothing minor things when we're together that we can't do in a group of all white people because to Shay's point, when you're with the white people, all this stuff is going on in your head, what to do, what not to do. What are they thinking? What do they think that I'm thinking? What do I think that they think that I'm thinking? This And this is like, it's the energy just to show up and be. And the you know point about being invited to somebody's home, I'll never forget when I just started at my current employer, someone, um, I had to cancel a meeting with her. I told her I would reschedule it. And she was like, oh, don't worry about it. And I felt really bad because it was last minute. 
And she then said, we ran into each other in the hallway. And I said, again, I'm really sorry. I'll find us one time. She's like, hey, how about you just come over for, for dinner? I know you're new here. You're from Boston. You don't know. Look at Mishka's face. You don't have a lot of people around. Why don't you just come over? And I just thought, oh, that's so nice of you. Thank you so much. She said, of course. I'm like, no, really, I really appreciate that. And she said, well, don't thank me so too much. I have a black husband. My daughter's mixed. I wanted to have more access to black people. So you weren't just in, right? Because like, I told you not to get comfortable. Like, the quote unquote innocent boldness, right? And the not even, not even having to be cautious about it and just put it out. To be clear, I never went over it. That was that. I was done. Like, got to protect my energy. Fab, you were about to say something. <laughs> you know, I think we know how we, we go in and how we present ourselves. We put on this armor. We go in and we try to deliver it day in and day out. That person asking what they need you, first of all, is... Right now, we know we have a lot of energy. We have a lot of people receptive. Don't start the conversation. Do not stop it. Yes. In two months, let's not just say, oh, we'll get there. No, we need to continue that conversation. What can they do to make sure that someone like me, like you guys, are feeling comfortable? Be genuine. And when you're about to say something, like what was just said to you, think about it. Would you have said it to somebody else right. who was in the same ethnic group as you? Would it have been okay to say it? Would you think twice? Because those little things, those little moments, they're what will prevent us from ever feeling comfortable. Because we know there's that judgment. There's the usage of having one black friend. No, that's not what it's about. Thank you. Let's be genuine. So... I, I actually, you perfect segue to the next question. And I think we'll all appreciate this. The question is like Maya Angelou's reading of the poem about the mask. Is that how many or most black people feel in a predominantly white environment? And I would like to actually quickly take the time to honor that poem. I, I really appreciate that question. And so just, so we're all level set. Um, I do want to read that, that, um, poem, poem by Dr. Angelou. Um, so bear with me. The poem is The Mask, and it starts, um, we wear the mask that grins and lies. It shades our cheeks and hides our eyes. This debt we pay to human guile with torn and bleeding hearts. We smile and mouth the myriad subtleties. Why should the world think otherwise in counting all our tears and sighs? Nay, let them only see us while we wear the mask. We smile, but oh my God, our tears to, to thee from tortured souls arise. And we sing, oh baby doll, now we sing. The clay is vile beneath our feet and long the mile, but let the world think otherwise, we wear the mask. When I think about myself, I almost laugh myself to death. My life has been one great big joke. A dance that's walked, a song that spoke. I laugh so hard, haha, I almost choke when I think about myself. 70 years in these folks' world, the child I works for calls me girl. 
I say, ha, 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 yes, ma'am. For workin's sake, I'm too proud to bend and too poor to break. So I laugh until my stomach ache when I think about myself. My folks can make me split my side. I laugh so hard. Ha ha, I nearly died. The tales they told sound just like lying. They grow the fruit but eat the rind. Until I start to cry when I think about myself and my folks and the children. My fathers sit on benches, their flesh count every plank. The slats leave dents of darkness deep in their withered flank. And they gnarled like broken candles, all waxed and burned profound. They say, but sugar, it was our submission that made your world go round. There are in those pleated faces, I see the auction block, the chains and slavery's coffles, the whip and lash and stock. My fathers speak in voices that shred my fact and sound. They say, but sugar, it was our submission that made your world go round. They laugh to conceal their crying. They shuffle through their dreams. They stepped and fetched a country and wrote the blues in screams. I understand their meaning. It could and did derive from living on the edge of death. They kept my race alive by wearing the mask. Ha 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 ha. And so I'll reframe the question or repeat the question. Like Maya Angelou's reading of the poem about the mask, is that how many or most Black people feel in predominantly white environments? All the heads, people, my guests can't even speak. They're all just nodding their heads. Fab? Sadly, but that's true. Yeah. it's It's the everyday. Everyday. Tandy, were you going to say something? It's unfortunate that our authentic self, we, you know, everybody wants to talk about, you got to walk into the space as your authentic self, but the system does not allow us to be, you know, because it almost seems like everything about us is negative from the get. So I need, I, so, I want to be respectful so, of time, but I need you to go on. deeper into that. When you say the system, everybody wants us to show up as our authentic self, but the system does not allow us to. to. What do you like? elaborate there? If I was to walk into a boardroom and all the faces in the boardroom look like me, like look like us right here, right now, it wouldn't be good. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Oh, hey. Right. What's going on? Did you watch Game of Thrones? The conversation, the flow, everything about it. We had a certain vibe that's familiar with family-like situations. You go into even a cookout with one person invited you, not sure, you know everybody else, but as soon as everybody walks out, they're like, yeah, the table is over there, the drinks are over there. There's just this automatic, come in, welcome, sit. Yeah. Let's, 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 let's do this. But... You're walking into, you know, I, I work in a space where a lot of times I'm the only one. And yes, it's, it's, it's good morning. It's, it's then I sit and it's the times when they ask, okay, questions all around. I, I pause myself to give other people a chance because yes. I usually have a question that pokes at something yes. that will be deemed as 
address it. She's at the table or a little too much or how dare she. But it's coming from a perspective, well, did we think about this? Yes. But you, in, a, in an always space, you have to be cautious because there's a level of fragility to how we have to deal with with them where if we're too much of ourselves, then it's it's a problem. You're gonna get talked to. It's gonna be oh, you made so and so uncomfortable. Well, they know they need to deal with why they were uncomfortable right. with me just being myself. That's you know they have to take that to the altar. As you were reading that, I was thinking about the the woman who went to a sleepover with all oh. white women and turned up dead the next day. So it looks like not everybody knows the details of that. Do you, can you give us a quick rundown? She was like 40 years old, went to an adult sleepover. mother of five, Tamla, I think husband, I think is the last name in Georgia. The photographs of that night that are available, the dancing, everyone in pajamas, sitting on the couch, everybody's like, this is a woman who was relaxed, having a good time. And at some point when the cameras went off, Somehow, with a lot of blunt tra- uh, um, trauma that w- w- was either from a fall or something happened before, she fell. She fell from a, a balcony and was dead. But w- the investigation, the preliminary, everything around it determined it as an accident and just kind of shut it down. This happened last year. Tamla Horsford is her name. Yeah, it's been reopened because there's a lot of outcry. And fortunately, because of all this attention that's been paid right now in all these different cases, I mean, we hear about the young man, but if you want to talk about, you know, it is why women are asking this question, we're going to dial it back to the last presidential election where your numbers, your voting, did something that went against your better interest. So yes, there is caution when it comes to dealing with especially white women. It is caution because we don't know if you are a quote-unquote Karen at the same time. So I could go on about this. But they have to look at those things, and amongst themselves, they're going to have to check themselves. So what I I appreciate, though, is you started in the boardroom, and you didn't... If I'm in the boardroom, it should be very clear to you that I've proven why I'm here. But because I have to stay in prove mode, I don't get to walk in and say, hey, 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 how was the weekend? Because immediately you pull a thread to start taking away from the credibility that brought me here because I'm coming into the boardroom the same way that I would come in with my sisters because that is more familiar. My conversation Uh, or my approach to the conversation may be different. It may be a little more relaxed. It may have tones to it that are unique, but it doesn't mean that I don't belong in that boardroom. It doesn't mean that I don't belong in the spaces in which I occupy. And so to your point about the fragility, it's not even that something is challenging you. It's just that it's different. And therefore, yeah, I'm not comfortable. And therefore... I'm not comfortable because I recognize there is risks to me just being me. And therefore, yeah, I wear the mask every day. And then what I love about the poem is that it also, in its own way, points to the fact that there is consequence 
to the investment of your ancestors if you refuse to wear the mask. Some of us can deal with that and that is great. Most of us can't. And so that is a heavy question and multifaceted. Um, um, you know, I absolutely agree that, you know, we wear a mask. I, you know, it's weird. I think about my upbringing where, you know, in Boston, all my schools were all white. And I think that, you know, my surroundings are always white. Right. In college, everything was always right. And even back then, I I I understood racism existed, but I felt that those barriers were breaking. And I had a few incidents in college, but, you know, those those were that it wasn't really until I got to corporate America that my first job where I felt mm -hmm. the racism, right? And so I think that being in white spaces, you know, there's always this like tap dance, you know, I would have white colleagues ask me all the time, why are you so happy? Do I have another choice, right? Like I put on my mask and I show up, right? And so, you know, a couple of years ago, back in, yeah, 2018, where I quit my job, one of the things as I was like doing the soul searching and really a lot of like meditating, uh, one of the things that I just decided was that I was not going to try so hard to make people uncomfortable, right? I mean, let's- To make people comfortable. I'm sorry, what? To make people comfortable? Yeah, to make like my white colleagues like comfortable, right? Sorry, yeah. One of the things that I decided was, yes, I, to a certain extent, will have to wear that mask, but I also stopped worrying about coming off as an angry black woman, yeah. right? So if I have a moment where I speak my mind or I disagree with you, if you immediately think angry black woman, you've always believed that yeah. and you were looking for me to disprove it. Right. And that's just a very you problem and not me problem. Right. But it's really, really tough. You know, when people say when companies say we want you to show up and be your authentic self, I want you to authentically be who I want you to be. Right. right? And right. so as a black person, I'm only going to be but so authentic. Right. <laughs> I'm not falling for that. Right. Right. The trick. The trick. I'm not falling for it. Oh, come on over. Nope. No. <laughs> how you really feel everybody be honest um no no <laughs> not, not gonna happen and so that mask is always there and so you know when people ask like right when i have a white colleague or like a white like female colleague and she wants to know like how do i dismantle and like there's a lot of aggression whether it's intended or not work on that and work with like work on yourself and work with your other colleagues and really do the soul searching to really ask, like, do I treat this person differently than I treat this black woman? Right. Yeah. And if you are close with yourself, you have to like realize that. Right. And I mean, I've had moments where I've actually <laughs> tested, you know, me doing something and seeing what my white female yes. manager versus like, Letting somebody else, I, I, I let another colleague kind of like just take, you know, credit or just send it to her, right? And she's like, oh my God, this is great. And the white colleague was like, oh, well, Grishka did it. And she's like, oh, really? Why right. do you seem so bad? Right. But like, do that soul thing and really ask yourself, like, am I being aggressive? 
right? Because this is why we wear the mask. We don't mm. really have the choice. We do not have the leeway that our white counterparts have. And if you can't acknowledge that, then therein lies the problem. Right. 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 And I was just going to share that um, one of the things that just gets under my skin sort of going, it, it plays a part in this question, but also goes back <laughs> to the, the whole question of what can I do? I really like truly have an issue with the statement, I don't see color. Oh, <laughs> okay. Can we pause for a second? We are definitely going to do a video <laughs> record next time because the the hand, all the hands, all the hands and it just went up in exasperation. Oh, sorry. You know what? Welcome to the Farrah Bernier show. We are going to have these conversations on. We're starting a YouTube channel. This is this is what we're going to do. Sorry. Go ahead. Literally, Manushka and Tandy just like laid back hands. <laughs> Because it is so infuriating. First of all, do see. Yes. I want you to know. Right. Understand who you're looking at. Don't. Oh. It is so. It is so. It's such like a devaluing thing. Yes. For you yes. To tell me you don't see my color means you don't see me. So here's what's hilarious to me is if you refuse to see color, you refuse even. Even amongst the people in this conversation today, we've got truly African-American, African-American of Haitian descent, three times over. Wow. African-American of African descent. Tandy, I don't even know. Do you actually identify as African-American? Totally putting you on the spot. Um, well, technically, I'm an African born raised and raised and came here and I'm a U.S. citizen. So African. You stuck with us. <laughs> So, so for somebody not to see color makes you invisible, number one, individually, and then takes away from the rainbow that we represent. And I'm not just talking shade, right? Like, not shade, but, you know, shades of the rainbow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it's, tell you this, that, that whole thing is always, it, it's, it's always a true... Um, moment with someone to show you how ignorant they are because I always tell you that they ignorant. Because I said because I'll tell you this when St. Patty's come around, everybody's Irish. Everybody's is, is wearing the green and they're talking about the Irish heritage. And then with my Italian friends, when it's time to talk about food and how they make sauce and oh which part of Italy right Sicilian so right celebrating and it's, it's, it's out there. But with us, why you don't want to see colors because you know with, especially with, let me let me take myself out of this, but with um, descendants of slave, you have erased well, right. Don't have the, the traditions of of recipes of food, of music, of of things that you that identify uh, culture. Right. Okay? Right. So what you are saying is that I'm cementing the the the, the color. Erasure. What is the white the whitewashing? The whitewashing. Yes, of, 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 of people. And yep. I have put people's, I have put some people's feet on the fire when they've said that because they come off like, I'm safe. I'm, not, I'm like, no, no, no. You just told me. That's actually there. worse. That's actually yeah. worse. So I want to pull it. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to say, like, when someone tells me they don't see color, I was like, oh my God, how do you drive? <laughs> like, 
How like okay. how <laughs> it's like oh my god because it's so ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I am black. I want you to see that I'm black. Me being black is not a problem. You treating me differently, um, keeping opportunities away from me, and all the things that come with systemic racism. Right. That is a problem. Your seeing definition. Me problem. Seeing me as black is not a problem. Seeing me as black as you define it. Mm-hmm. That is the problem. So I want to move us. Listen, I got to move us to the next question. <laughs> this is so okay. I'm just gonna call it the next. Ep- this is part one, everyone. We're gonna have a part two, and I have a feeling we're gonna get to part three because we're only on the third question, by the way. So I'm just. This is a situational. So let me. It's a long one, so please bear with me. But context is important. So here's a question. If I am hanging out, just bear with me. If I'm hanging out with a white friend and a black friend and the white friend says something racist, is there any way to make my calling them on it less difficult for my black friend? Do I jump on, do I jump on it right then? Even if I don't have the right words, am awkward. And even if I escalate things unintentionally, a little bit of context. I'm aware of a few issues here. One, I'm still not incredibly articulate when confronting white friends. It's hard to do it all. And I'm afraid of looking like the beginner I am to my black friend and afraid of making it worse for my black friend. And truthfully, I feel ashamed that this is still so uncomfortable that I don't have more practice at it and that I am not more elegant in my responses. If I'm really frank, I'd rather confront the white friend one-on-one, but that seems like a lost opportunity somehow. And then, of course, there's a temptation to let it slide, and this is something white people just cannot do. My question, in a way, also makes a weird assumption that my black friend doesn't have a mouth when I know she's gonna when I know she's able to speak for herself. If my black friend spoke up really effectively, I might have an inner relief and think I don't need to say anything. But that can't be true. Help. I'm trying to figure out my play in this. I'm aware these are there are many possible permutations of the scenario. So it may not be a rule of thumb, but in the scenario, what would you prefer I do and not do and why? I'm gonna tell you something. Oh, I'm sorry, ladies. Oh no, I was just gonna ask a clarification point. So it's a white person asking for this information. Okay. I think that sometimes we start with the simplicity of words because we are all. I'm sorry, my dog is scratching the door, and I'm really trying to keep real life, real life, all good. Stay inside. So I'm gonna tell you this: we've all had situations that have come up where someone has said something ridiculous. You're so angry. You can't put together the words, but the first thing that come out is just cuss words, right? You can start from there <laughs> and call somebody a cuss word. And then, of course, and, and then let it be like, you can honestly be like, I, I just don't know what to say to you right now, but I'm angry. And then at that, at that point, you give it, because what you have said, you put your foot down. Yeah. No one's looking for anyone to be eloquent, because yeah. I, on on a, on a even a, a black to black person situation, sometimes you don't have the words. You just want them to cut it out, and you just like yeah. let it off like a sailor, and you put your foot down. And then when you've gathered your thoughts, you can have that conversation. But in that moment, it is okay to just kind of just fire that off, and then 
later on have the, the conversation with the individuals involved in, in whatever manner. But because I'll tell you this, being that I have been in a situation where someone has gone quiet and I'm like, oh, so what do you, you that didn't bother you? And then with the friend I told you about who's from Georgia, so who like did not use her words, she got physical, but <laughs> which I don't co-sign. <laughs> but, but her foot was on, yeah. she, she 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 put her foot down on what was acceptable and not acceptable you know, in, in, the, in the space. So to that person, I would say, don't, you, you don't have to be Malcolm, at, oh no, um, you know, Obama and have a beautiful speech or words to how to like respond to somebody. Not all of us are like that. Certainly I am not. But I would say, you know, simplicity. Sometimes you got to tell somebody you're a jerk and say, I'm so angry. I'm going to pause you for now. We'll continue with that drinks at dinner and I'll talk to you later. What I what I appreciate to your point though is say okay say you're not somebody who's going to throw a bottle say you're not somebody who's going to swear. What I love that you said is I don't even know what to say to you right now, but this is not okay. That in and of itself, that's a big deal, and it just it it acknowledges that this is not right. But I literally don't know what to say to you right now. It doesn't minimize the power of your Black friend if she or he chooses to say something. But it also makes it clear that you acknowledge something just went wrong and you're not going to just let it slide. But you also are transparent that, no, really, I don't even know what to say. But this is not okay. We need to pick this back up. Not necessarily right now, but we will. And then let the black friend decide if she wants to, she or he wants to jump in on that. And if they don't, know that it has gone a long way, even if it does get awkward for you to have acknowledged that. I will tell you, even um, the week after George Floyd, you know, in my role, I have to lead leaders in some of these tough spaces and conversations. And it is hard to be an HR professional and Black when it comes to these types of things, because everybody is expecting you to have all of the answers, all of them, every single one. Literally, someone said, but how do I solve society's problems? Great question. Right? And so I I was actually talking and um, someone said, well, what can we do? And the first thing, and Fab said it, have the conversations and don't stop talking. We need to still keep the conversation going. And when you have these conversations, please prioritize acknowledgement, proximity, and an open door to sitting in the uncomfortable. I'm saying this, and then somebody cuts me off. And she says, but I'm tired of talking, Farah." Was the she? Yes, uh, yes, 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 yes. And so, so I sat there for 10 seconds. I didn't count, but I let it sit there. And what I was doing was allowing for somebody else to jump in. No one did. Wow. You know what? And if they did, guess what? It wouldn't have sounded good at all. It would have been awkward as hell. And they wouldn't have known what to say. 
But the fact that it was not acknowledged that rule number one for women together is we don't, we don't interrupt each other, let alone cut each other off. But we can do it when we don't see the other woman as human. Right. And that's what I felt. And not one person, not one person said a word. And then when I responded, and I'll, you know, I'll tell you my response. I said, I can only imagine how tired you are. And if you're tired, I can only imagine how tired black employees are. And then we went from there and I finished my point. And then all of a sudden, all the chats kept coming to me. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for clarifying. But do you see what happened? It's the same situation in this question that's being asked. Nobody stood up. Um, can I just say? Absolutely, you can say. In this situation, for some reason, this woman, the option of getting better friends, that's not an option for her, I imagine. <laughs> You know, because the reason racism, sexism, and every other bigotry exists and like will always persist because nice people don't want to be uncomfortable, right? That is the, I don't want to be uncomfortable and call out my family member or my friends because I won't get invited to the party. Like, again, white people, if you want to be an anti-racist and be an ally, be a real ally and be uncomfortable, right? Like, and be uncomfortable in your own space. Right. Because, like, there are plenty of, like, white people who are ready to go and parachute into Africa, into India, and every other brown space because they just feel like what is happening over there is just so terrible. Right in your backyard is also right. terrible. Too, right. right? But, but in your backyard, it makes you uncomfortable. Right. And so you're not willing to do that work. So would like call it out and just say this is inappropriate. Right. right but right. this is why these things persist. Right. Because nobody wants to be uncomfortable. And if, if you if you do not want to be uncomfortable, then I have I, I have nothing. I have nothing else to say to you. Well, I like, think I, I think this is the challenge, too. Right. It's kind of like the person with the family. It's not like you can. Well, let me take that back. It's. I am not for, depending to the degree, the degree of the offense, right? If I'm sitting with a white, two white friends and one white friend uses the N-word, there's no, I'm with you. Oh, no, we're done. I'm done with both of you. The person who said it and the person who didn't say anything. That's like, come on. But if yeah, it is, yeah. right, if it right. is, and I don't, I don't want to, you know, play a small bit, but if it's something truly like a microaggression that the other person is truly ignorant about, I hesitate and I'm pushing, like pushing us here, not because I disagree with you, Manishka, but I don't know if the first play is to end or get better friends. I think to be honest, it's a test. And, and look, all of you know this about me. We don't agree on everything. And that's what I love. Like, there are conversations we have when I know for certain, you're probably like, Farrah, please shut up. But it's also like we engage in the conversation of our difference of opinion. And I learn from every single one of you and, and I hope vice versa. And so if there's, if, if the thing that is said 
actually. And by um, the way, I'm kidding about just like. No, 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 kidding. no. But at the same time, I'm always like, you know, if you have a friend who routinely likes to drop the N word, right? Then by all means, like the first time everyone, any, the first time any of someone called me the N word was my college roommate, <sighs> who we were close, right? And it was we were close. We were fr- like, I tell you, she would be like, she would be that person who'd be like, I would f someone up for you. Right. Like that was that was my when it's convenient. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so hard. It's yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm going to tell you this. You talk about being bold. Have you guys seen videos of these Generation Z kids (sighs) challenging? Oh, the uh, police challenging their family on social media on uh, the, the topic of race. They have the energy that I need. Yes, yes. Everyone to have because you can't tell me that opening oh, a comfortable is this and that when your child is actually demonstrating it on right, social media. Right. And they are and so we you know, it's funny we were talking about oh Thanksgiving looks too uncomfortable. Those kids that are like, I don't care about Thanksgiving or Easter, I don't care about the next meal. What are you gonna do? Legally you're my guardian, Ooh. and I'm telling you, and I'm telling the world that you're trash. Right. I love, you know, it's, 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 and these are the kids who sunk the Tulsa rally. They got right. on the TikTok and booked tickets left, yes. and 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 really did something that left me speechless right. and proud. Yeah. yeah. They are able to do that. You can't tell me that you're, you cannot. You're right. You're absolutely right. You you know what? You're so right. And the only way you cannot do that is back to Manushka's point about the discomfort. It's not that you can't. It's just that you can't embrace discomfort when we don't have a choice about discomfort. Every day is uncomfortable. So, okay. I want to be conscious of time, especially because I'm, I'm respectful of my guest. But um, I promise this is part one. We're going to come back together for part two. There's a long list of questions. What I do want to end on, if we can, is over the next week, as people are taking your points and, and expressions um, as you reflect on things, everybody's asking what they can do. One poignant question was, what should I not do? If you could share one thing that specifically white counterparts should not do in the midst of all that's going on. What is that one thing? Do not allow racist or misogynistic behavior to occur in a space that even uh, whether a a black person is there or a woman is is not there. So I asked that of, of my white male friends. I did tell them, I said, when you're around guys, that locker room talk has to stop. And when when you're right around other white people, whether it's your family or colleagues, talking about uh, um, a person or other races or just that, you need to put your foot down and say it cannot happen in your presence. If you do are willing to do that part, then that's that's the work. That's that's the work. So not allowing conversations um, or comments about black people. Let's be specific continue in your presence, um, setting a standard and expectation of those in your network. That's a really good one. Yeah. 
I would say um, that I would want you to no longer be ignorant Mm -hmm. as far as my history is concerned. Yes. Educate yourself. And there's this thing called um, the web that people can type in. There's a site, I think it's G-O-O-G-L-E.com. You type in anything and like, I don't know, black history, just, just try it. It kicks back a whole bunch of stuff. A whole lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Some level of information beyond your minute understanding of what slavery was. Which I think is critical um, for folks to understand. I personally just recently read The Making of a Slave. I, I never read it before. It is literally a 15 minute reading. And the same person, I, I want to come full circle, who cut me off in that meeting, recently offered me her second home as a safe place if I needed it. And also I recommended she read that book. And she was taking notes and took it. So so this is why it sucks because, yes, folks need to educate themselves and stop depending on us to educate. And at the same time, that gave me a little bit of hope of, okay, this, this journey will continue, even if it's long. But, yes, stop being ignorant of our history is, is a really big one. Right. No, I, you know... Farah, um, and I agree, like, you know, tap into my BFF, my girl Google, she will always leave a light on for you, and she will <laughs> tell you some things, right? right. But as you are learning from all the great books that are out there, and Google, also just be mindful of, in trying to be allies, an ally that you're not shutting down the voices of black people and other marginalized people, right? One of the things that I have loved um, that I'm seeing are really big celebrities and influencers who have massive platforms. You know, one of the things that you know I always talk about in PR is be very mindful of saying, I want to give a voice to people who don't have a voice, right? Everyone has a voice. They may not have the platform. Yes. If you want to be an ally and you're educating yourself and you have a big platform, share that platform with, you know, other marginalized groups, right? So you can help amplify the messages that are going out there, right? Then that is how you can continue being an ally, educate yourself and then help give and promote and share spaces so some of those messages could get out to a broader audience. So when we get to part two, you're going to start because there's a very specific question about that. And so I'm going to, I'm going to summarize to give this person the short answer. The short answer is stop saying or positioning yourself as giving voice to the voiceless. Embrace that everybody has a voice, but proactively seek how you amplify that voice. Don't t- don't say that Shay, Manushka, or Tandy, or Farah does not have a voice. We have a voice. Instead, take our voice and help ampl- amplify it. And so thank you, each and every one of you, um, for your insights, for your candor, for your vulnerability, and your transparency. You have no idea how grateful I am for it and so grateful for just this time. Um, And also to our listeners, thank you for your attention. 
Thank you for your interest um, in learning, whether you're white, black, yellow, you name it, because there's so much for us to learn in all of this together. And because it is a journey, this is part one, and we will get back to part two with my guest. In the meantime, wishing you usually a week of living fabulously fierce, but today I'm wishing you a week of living fabulously woke as we continue to learn and move across this journey together. So thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Lauren.